Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslovsky. Are you tired of managing your life and managing everyone else around you? Maybe you just need more being and less thinking. This is episode number 115. Why, hello there. It is just about the end of 2016 as I record this, and who knows how far into the future it is when you hear this. Assuming you're not an artificial intelligence algorithm looking for how people use quirky pop culture references from the 20th century, I'm grateful to have my sound waves vibrating inside your ears. I'm just going to hop to what's been happening with me lately. What's coming up? Because I'm in a get-to-the-good-stuff kind of mood right now. It's rare, but it's working. Uh, In a few words, I've been gathering. Gathering up my boys' cousins for a super cousin sleepover at my house. Gathering up locals in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area that I live for Simple Rev and Live Your Legend action. (laughs) And for some reason, probably because I'm crazy about this whole bringing people together thing, I'll be gathering folks in the Twin Cities on January 4th, 2017 for our first ever World Domination Summit local gathering. Yeah, that's right. WDS is now taking over the world in a city near you. Hop to it. Uh, Winter break. That's coming up for my kindergarten son, Grant. Uh, Coming up mighty quick. So I'll probably need to get my December 26th last episode of the year done on time because there won't be much work slash hobby stuff happening for, I don't know, like two weeks or so. What I can guarantee you is a nifty chat with my guest for this episode. Her name is Julie Gray, and I'll tell you specifically why she's groovy in a moment. This conversation took some twists and turns and went into the question deep end, and we got meta at least once, twice, maybe thrice. Mostly, we brought things back to the practical and actionable as we verbally strolled through topics like how to create systems so you can work less and contribute more, why stress management always seems so dang stressful, how to tap into the power of your innate intelligence, ooh, how to know whether you have always available syndrome, and the big question that Julie can't stop asking herself. Giddy up, because here we go. The Rolling Stones weren't the first to say that time is on my side. Yes, it is. And they certainly won't be the last... I have a guest today who can rock and roll a bit, but more importantly, knows her way around some potential modern minefields. Julie Gray is a time and stress coach who has worked with lots of individual folks and organizations around the world to be productive, creative, and just live a holistic life. She has this nifty workbook called True For You Time Management and has been known to blog, speak, and teach about helping people put the systems in place that they need to work less and contribute more. She's also been featured in places like the Washington Post and numerous podcasts, including this one, as of today. So welcome to Smart and Simple Matters, Julie. 
Thanks so much, Joel. I'm so glad to be here. All right. Well, what do you say? Let's start. Uh, I really enjoy starting conversations with something I call the seeds of awesomeness. I want to help people understand who you are, how you came to be the person that you are. And oftentimes that goes back to our youth, our childhood. So perhaps you can tell us something unique about your environment as a youth, maybe even an experience that you had growing up that still has a big impact on you to this day. You know, when uh, when I was reading through this in preparation, the thing that jumped out at me the most that I would say is, is somewhat unique, not completely unique, but I think really contributes to where I've come and gone, is, uh, is the fact that I did grow up on a farm. My dad's still uh, an active farmer in upstate New York, and it, it doesn't have animals. It's, it's a crop farm. And uh, I got to start out working at a really young age, helping out a little here, a little there. And uh, just the values that, that that my parents instilled in me and the work ethic, I think, have really factored in, especially. And, and honestly, the sense of entrepreneurship. You know, my dad started the farm on his own, um, actually, the year I was born. So I think that's where I get it from as well. Hmm. Why? Why then? So he doesn't. You don't come from farming traditions. It hasn't been handed down from generation to generation. What made him decide that he wanted to have a crop farm in upstate New York? Yeah. So actually, his father was a farmer, was a dairy farmer, and my dad was very sure. And, and my dad was the oldest son of, and there were seven kids. And uh, but the one thing he got really clear on growing up was he did not want to be a dairy farmer. Uh Um, And so he went to school. He went to college. um, He started working. He was uh, um, into like mechanics, like tractor mechanics, auto mechanics. And so he started working. But I think he did feel the call towards um, towards farming, just not just outside of, you know, the dairy sector. And, and it's a kind of interesting story, but there was a, a local farmer who had uh, an accident, who, who was a landowner and had an accident and needed to find money very quickly and called my father and said, you know, I've got 125 acres. If you want it, I'll give you, you know, kind of the deal, deal of a lifetime. And so my dad took it and he's, I was, had just been born and I was the youngest of three kids. So he had a, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old and me and a, and a wife, and, and he took the plunge. And I think that's pretty cool. And, and now he works over a 1,000 acres. Wow. That's a lot of land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah. Well, going back to what you're saying about um, working on the farm, I would imagine there was an expectation that you worked as a child of a farmer. It wasn't just like it was an optional. Like they said, hey, you have these chores, you have these tasks, and you willingly did them, right? Well, it wasn't like there's this sort of romanticized kind of stereotypical mindset I think that people have of the farmer's life. And that wasn't it. Like I wasn't like, okay, it's five, you know, get out of bed and go do this and go do that. Like I had a lot of friends that were in that, that role, but not, not me. It was a little bit more optional, but in terms of helping out my mother or helping around the house, that wasn't optional. So I definitely had those chores. We had Saturday morning chores every, every week. And that wasn't like you didn't get a, an allowance or anything for that. That was just because you were a part of the team. And then if you did want to make money, you, you know, by the time I think I was 10 or 12, I could work 
in the field. So in the tractor or help unload hay or do all that kind of stuff. And, and that was considered more like helping out and you would get paid for it. I don't know if you use that word team on purpose, but I think, so I've got two boys ages six and three right now, and I want them to think of themselves as being on teams as Lofsky uh, team yeah. Emerson. Emerson's my wife's uh, name. She didn't want to be a Zeslowski, which I can't, I can't blame her. It's a tough one to say. Uh, but that mindset of within a family is that we're also on the same team. We have the same goals. We have the same objectives. And we need to work together just like any other group of individuals would come together to achieve something that we all believe in. So I, I, I don't know if you use that on purpose, but I like that team approach to family life and how you can be both at the same time. Yeah, and you know what's funny that you say that? I don't think they ever used that term. I don't think they ever, they weren't like pep talky kind of people, or they aren't, um, but they but they didn't actually need to, I think, which is kind of cool. They just, it, the way that it was set up, it was just sort of uh, assumed, you know, like this is what we're doing, we're, we're kind of in this together. And, um, and that's, I love that, you know, and I love, I love that you call that out specifically because I think it is a really cool way to raise a family. How did that happen that we're all in this together? I mean, how did your parents raise you or what would you tell somebody if you were trying to pass down what you learned from them through the generations? How would you describe the environment or a couple of, of talks or steps so that other people could have the whole, hey, we're not team gray, but we're all in this together and let's yeah. do this thing, baby. <laughs> That's so cool. That's such an interesting. Well, I probably would be more overt and talk about, you know, like the team. But I also just like the idea that you're contributing. You know, this is these are the tasks. These are the activities that help you, you know, that help the family. And it's not necessarily done because you get something in return other than being able to help the family. And I think I would, you know, I don't have a family on my own just yet, but I think that that's what I would, um, that would be one of the first things that I would do. Cool. Yeah, that you're contributing. I know that that's, sounds like it's central to who you are and what you represent and what mm-hmm. you try to help other people be. I was actually, I was just checking out your Twitter bio recently uh, and that putting the system in, in place so that people can work less and contribute more. Mm-hmm. I mean, working less is great. There's a lot of us, maybe almost all of us, who would like to work less, still get paid appropriately, uh, but a lot of folks would just rather just have leisure time or time to themselves, which is fine. I mean, there's absolutely a need and a role for that in our lives. But a lot of what I think about when it means working less is so that I can contribute more. So what do you, what do you mean by that, putting the systems in place to work less and contribute more? What I mean by that is evolved a lot, I will say, over the last 10 years of me doing this. And when I started uh, working with people around their time management, it really was about system imp- in- implementation. So, um, and to a certain degree, it still is. So we look at, you know, what are they currently doing? How do we, how are they thinking about their tasks? How are they thinking about time? Because we all think differently, right? And, um, and then marrying their preferences and, and how they ultimately want to be living life with how they're structuring their week, with how they're, um, what they're saying yes to, how they're balancing 
their activities. And so we would be looking at really holistically that those systems and how these pieces are fitting together. Um, and what you say is so true that I have to also comment. What I found over, over time is that, yeah, people do want to have more free time, but it, it never manifests in that, like, there's nothing to do, right? Mm-hmm. There's all, there's always something to do, whether it's something quote unquote fun or something more work or something contribution or more volunteering, like our time always gets naturally filled up over the years. What I've tried to do is focus less on a more of a, like, like I just remember this one client in particular, she, she did all the right systems, right? She got all the right things in place. And, and she said, I don't understand it. I'm still just as busy. And it kind of was a light bulb moment for me because we literally, as soon as we pair something away or let something go or restructure, we just fill it up, right? We just fill it up again. Um, but ideally with more of what we want, with more of that contribution, with more of what's fun for us so that it really, and, and also I would say so that it really feels intentional. Mm-hmm. The other big piece. Yeah, I love this systems talk. There are some people who hear systems, and one, it's ambiguous enough where they just don't really get what people mean by systems. Um, but I hear systems or simple systems integration or implementation, and I'm just my eyes get big. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> systems. So let's assume for a moment that the person listening to this is also, maybe their eyes aren't getting big, maybe they don't have this big grin on their face, but they're <laughs> like, okay, I'm with you, I see the purpose, I see the value in systematizing your life to a certain extent. Can you give us an example, make it kind of concrete? What's a system that you've designed, either for yourself or for one of your clients, that really has allowed them to, t- to scale back on the amount of work that they have to do? Okay. So what, what I'll give you is a concept, not so much a system, but you'll see where the system works with this. We can, we can go on from here. But this is a really helpful concept to a lot of people. Um, and I, I bring this into nearly every conversation that I have with the people that I, that I am fortunate enough to work with because it's so, so common in our society. Um, so what I often see happen is that people have a tendency to default into being available to others most of the time. So what I mean by that is, you know, the phone rings, they pick it up, someone texts, they respond. When do you want to have a meeting? You let me know, right? So there's this sort of reactive um, way in which we navigate our schedules because we, we have this desire, frankly, to be open. We're contributors. We want to be available to our family, to our friends, to our colleagues. And um, that's wonderful and helpful. And we don't realize that we can also draw boundaries around that. We can actually take more control over our schedule than we realize. We don't always have to default into um, what works for other people. We can actually decide what works for us. And this can look like so many different things. This can look like, oh, actually, these are the few times that I am available, right? I like to keep my meetings in the afternoon. So so I'm going to give only afternoon appointments for my clients. Or, um, you know, I really like writing. 
And so I'm going to reserve my writing and I'm, I'm going to protect that time for an hour every morning or what have you. Um, this can look like um, not responding to text messages only when that works for you or, call, or batch calling or batch emailing. So you're responding at certain times. And sometimes this is really uncomfortable for people, especially people that haven't ever considered this. And it's a, it tends to be a little bit of a process. And once people start to see that others are not offended by you imposing your preferences, it gets easier. It gets more and more easier to set these boundaries. And all of a sudden, you're able to be so much more present throughout your day because you've actually set aside time for what you need to do to get things done. So one last bit before... Um, I'd love for your comments, Joel. Yeah. There's, there's one thing that I find really, really helpful. This is such so common that I've dubbed it, I've named it always available syndrome. This is what happens for people, right? The more harried and crazy you feel and the, the, the less control you feel you have over your schedule, generally the more you are available to people all the time. So if you wanted to take one step forward, where I generally recommend people starting is by blocking time where they are not available and start with whatever amount of time feels comfortable, right? So it might be 15 minutes, one time a week. It might be four hours every day, whatever feels good to you. And that's when you're not on email, you're not answering phones, you're doing the work that you need to do. Or maybe it's one hour a day, whatever it feels Helpful. So that's just a little example of how I'll take a concept that I often see and how we work that into a system that works for the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just hit on a reoccurring theme that I've been hearing over and over for years now, which is that people actually respect you more when you lay down very concrete boundaries and you just say, this is the way that I am. And this is the way that I operate. I talked to Brooke McCollery a few episodes back about this, and I've, I've spoken with so many people who almost make you happy that they're making it so clear where you stand and where they stand as far as your relationship goes. I love that. I just love knowing this is how I operate. This is what's available. And you can take it if you want. And if it doesn't work for you, well, depending on how good of friends we are or family or whatever, maybe we can make some uh, alternatives. And just as a great case study, I might have mentioned this on past episodes. So you and I, when I, when I learned about your existence, and I got kind of excited, uh, and then I thought, you know, Julie would be really cool to have on Smart and Simple Matters. I sent you an email and I said, hey, Julie, you're cool. Let's talk. And then I gave you a link to an online scheduling tool. I use one called Schedule Once. There's others like Calendly and there's tons, Time Trade. There's so many out there right now. But when you clicked on that link, you were presented with days and times that I was available to have this conversation that we're having right now. And there was very specific blocks in which I made myself available. I didn't make myself available at 2 a.m. Not that you and I would probably want to talk at 2 (laughs) a.m. I didn't make myself available when I wanted to be hanging out with my son before kindergarten and walking him there. I didn't make myself available during dinner time. Um, There were only about six hours on a certain set of days where I was willing to have this conversation. And it's not me imposing my will on you. It's just me telling you what you sounds like you already like in yourself and in others. 
these are the kind of rules that and the boundaries that I've set for myself and that I want other people to respect. And you were happy to do it. You worked within the constraints that I gave you and and we're happy. We're having fun and we're having a good chat. So these are the kinds of things blocking and scheduling and time where whether it's technology based or a simple conversation about expectations of when you can do certain things and how quickly you're willing to respond to certain things. That's a whole nother issue in terms of, do you expect me to respond to a text within a a minute, within an hour, within a day? There's a difference between a phone call and an email and there's social media, like a direct message via Twitter. All these different communication mediums have all these different expectations. And there's a way I haven't mastered it yet, but I've tried to standardize it where I've just tried to set expectations with people saying, look, I don't, if it's text-based, if you wrote it to me, I don't care how, what's platform you did, maybe I'll get back to you within 48 hours or so, unless you're my mom. Um, and that's just <laughs> the way that it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you're noticing, or you're, what you're bringing in here is that so much of like solid time management is, I believe, one, first and foremost, that it works for you. So some people like Joel love systems and they love structure. And some people like less of that. Some people think they need more of it in order to be better with their time. I would argue against that. What people need is what works for them. That's what I'm good at helping people figure that out. So structure is is a benefit and making it work for you is even more so. What what you're also pointing to, Joel, which I love, is how much time management involves just solid, good communication. doesn't matter if you're, you know, somebody that likes things to be a bit more fluid or, you know, everyone, I, I have this continuum of, you know, spaciousness versus structure and people fall on it in different ways, right? Some people just really prefer more spaciousness. Some people really prefer more structure. Um, but the, the common denominator across the board is you've got to communicate. And then you're managing what you're doing is you're managing, frankly, the anxiety of others, right? You're, you're, so you're, so they're comfortable where you're at. They know where you stand. And that's a huge, wildly helpful piece to, to being more effective with your time. Can I ask you about, uh, this word manage and management? You, I know that's, that's part of your thing, like time management, stress management. You've written about sleep management on your blog. I'm just, I want to know, like, why the emphasis on the word management? Why does that seem like the right word or what we should be aspiring to is to properly manage all of these aspects, all of these resources that we have? Oh, Joel. <laughs> if that was too deep or too meta, you can be like, ah, your silly questions, Joel. <laughs> That's I'm going to no. give you an answer. And no, I want to take it even deeper. That's what I'm like. I'm like which direction do I go with this answer? So here's the thing. I do believe I've always struggled with that because management is a funny term and it looks like there's a lot of doing, right? It like, look at how much doing our society puts around time management. Like that, like that, that's a thing. Right. It seems very active. It's very active. And look at stress management. The thing that kills me is how stressful we've made stress management because all of a sudden it's a whole other thing we have to manage. Um, We do that with everything. Anxiety management, 
um, life management, right? Organization space management. Um, it's like an easy bucket. I think I use it because it's an easy, like people understand. They have like a reference point for what that means. But I will say this. When we get into it, when I work with clients and, you know, you would you would see this on my blog, it's not really about doing more, frankly. It's it's really so much, and this speaks to your the theme of your blog or your your podcast. It really where we're going with people is helping them see their natural way, helping them see their natural flow in life and how that has so much there's so much less that people actually need to do and manage in order to tap into that well one thing i i heard the intensity and the tone of your voice change um when you talked about people beating themselves up trying to force themselves into these stress management time management i gotta realize my greatest potential type of thing there was a good YouTube video that you had on this topic and you were sounding some similar similar items from that video and what you just said to me. So how do I how do I do that? How do I avoid making all of these management items whether I think about them as management or not? How do I avoid just ridiculing myself and and having negative self-talk and trying to just mm, you know power through and force myself into less stress and greater potential what are some of the core ways that you offer up to people to do that okay this is an awesome question and i'm so excited that we're like getting here so i'm going to give you some of the ways and and i'm glad to explore i'm just going to run through them quick and then and i'm glad if you want to explore any of them more deeply okay basically how we get more done by doing less and by stressing less, one of the, the easiest and, and or I'll say simplest ways is to see the role of thought and its impact in our lives. And you could say that this is like mindfulness or that this is like positive thinking. And I would say that this is a little bit beyond that. So we're not so concerned about what we're thinking, but we are looking at the fact that it's thought. And this is a really big distinction and one that is for some people immediately seen and for others, it takes a little bit more time for, for, for most people, it takes a little bit more time to really see what the heck I actually mean by that. When we really see the role of thought and we, we start to distance ourselves, the other thing that happens, we, we don't have to take thinking so seriously, right? We just, we, we naturally have a looser grip on life, a, a looser grip on our time management on our think our on, on our beating ourselves up. We're not worried about the fact that we're beating ourselves up anymore. We're not anxious about the fact that we're stressed anymore, right? There's just this quieting down of thought of mind. Also, the other way, the uh, what this is doing is this is dropping us into the present moment more frequently. We're not trying to be present, right? Which is what we'd like to do. The, the fastest way not to be present is to try to be present, <laughs> right? So this is like this back door into 
really just more presence and more um, awareness. The other way that I help people do this is through their body. And, and there's a lot of different ways to do that, but just by paying more attention to our body, just by listening to our bodies, just listening to our insights, our intuition, communication, our emotions in different ways, really, really practical ways, we start again, becoming more and more present. And, and what's available here, Joel, is clear, obvious, natural action. That's what's available in the present. And we're doing this all day long. All day long we're doing this. And it, and it just doesn't look like we're doing it because it's so obvious and so natural. Okay, so I've got and, two things so far. If, okay. I, if I'm right, if I'm trying to keep count over here, I have the role and impact of thought, which mm-hmm. kind of falls into not just don't believe everything you think, but don't care about everything that you think as well. I don't know if I'm summarizing that up properly, but we've got thought and then paying attention to our bodies, just being able to be in tune enough about uh, what we're feeling, uh, listening to your the, actually being able to feel the signals that your body is sending you, whether it's about pain, whether it's about hunger or your sleepiness level, if you need a nap. Yeah. So we've got two so far. Yeah. Okay. And, and there's one more that I, that I use with, with clients. And that is, I would call it, everyone's got their own word for it. Um, but I would call it spirit. So it's our connection to whatever that energy is in, in whatever way you think of it. Cause I, I have these conversations with atheists as well. Atheists to literally, I literally have an atheist and a pastor on my docket right now. <laughs> um, and, and it doesn't matter. It's how you're thinking of it. So that energy, that piece that you connect to, whether it's intuition or universal mind or God or, uh, or, or source or spirit, whatever, however you're understanding that, that other, that's the other piece that we bring into the conversation um, that is wildly helpful when we're, um, we, it's a force that we can leverage um, to such a greater degree in our day to day to help us slow down and, and, and contribute more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, just a couple things. The first one is uh, how you have an atheist and a pastor currently, and you talk <laughs> about spirit and spirituality with both of them. I'm an atheist. I tell people mm-hmm. this all the time. I grew up in a faith religion. I grew up very Jewish, but I've been an atheist for over a decade, and I can very happily say, I've got spirit. Yes, I do. I've got spirit. How about you? Right. Although exactly. I know you have spirit. You have lots of spirit. Um, so I'm glad that you, you separated religion and spirituality because they are separate things and you can have one without the other. And there's all kinds of good roads that we could go down there, but we probably won't. Yes. And yes. The, the other one that I really like is, so tapping into, I, I think your terminology is the power of our innate intelligence. Being able mm. to hear, being able to feel beyond what the direct input is telling us our immediate thought, the immediate sensation, having a sense of um, instinct and intuitiveness. How do you, so how do you personally, how do you do that? How do you access that space beyond through thought? 
do you have certain rituals? Do you have certain yeah. routines? So, do you have yeah. certain conversations you have with friends that ground you in a way that allow you to go beyond thought and just be more instinctual in your day to day? So it's funny. It's like a it's like a combination of all of that, and it always is is evolving. So there's been times in my life where I meditated very regularly. There's been times in my life where I would like actively try to tune in to hear you know, messages from God or guides or angels or what have you. There's, there's times where I would, um, not do any of that, you know, where, where running or exercise was a, was a source of more meditation. And, and where, where I'm at now with it all is like having conversations like this one, conversations with my clients, there's, there's this ability to, I can be in my head about it or I can be in the experience of it. And sometimes it's, it's kind of hard to switch that. And sometimes it's, you can just see that there's, there's more than one doorway. Leaning, stepping back, stepping away from thought is probably my most common path right now where I'm just seeing thought and all that it's doing. And I'm just leaning away from it. And I'm saying, oh, okay, there that is you know, where am I, who, where am I right now? Right. Or in, in, in it's this grounding. Um, I so haven't articulated this. And so I love this question. And, um, I think I get it though. Yeah. It's It's just a level of self-awareness that you have where on a moment to moment basis, you just realize that the thoughts that you're having, um, may not be serving you or may not even be necessary. And what and is there the except system. for the thought that's going through my head right now? What are right. the other things that I can pick up on or act on or use to make decisions or to be of service or of value to other people? That's right. what I'm Where getting. am I at right now? Where am I at right now? That's like the thing that, I, that runs through. Now, that's what works for me. And it's built into the system for people to have their own way into that. Right. And, and again, it's always evolving. Some people use their breath, their body right? That, that was one I had for a long time. And it's just this sort of naturally evolving thing that we do um, that's truly built into the system to wake us back up to where we are right now. And I just have, I think I just trust that that's going to happen. That's good. Yeah. Being able to have that just base level trust that mm-hmm. who you are is going to work for you is going to be enough. It's a hard thing to achieve. And there, most people I know haven't. So I guess kudos to you for that, Julie. Yeah, and I would argue that it's it's not even something that you can achieve. It, it's not it's not an achievement. It it's it's innate. Okay. And and I know we we can't go there right we now. We can't go but there I... actually because <laughs> there's a light going on slowly. It's flickering. It's like one of those movie switches where you're in a dark basement and all of a sudden somebody flips the switch and the light hasn't been on in so long or there's a short circuit and it's bzz, 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 and it's starting to occur a little bit more here. I this is another thing that I've been really interested in too is just instinctual. We have we have we have so many true instincts as humans just at the this as a human i have this i possess it i just need to be able to hear it or feel it Mm. um i still suck at it frankly i'm a little bit too rational and i'm working back towards 
my my primal ancestral i've got wiring inside of me i just need to get on my own way and do the thing that i already know to do or to say and that's going to be the right mm. thing so if if we can't achieve that because we already have it if we don't have it how do we get it hmm <laughs> It's funny that the interview or this conversation is going in this direction because this is actually a really interesting, like it's a very meta way that a lot of coaching sessions go. Like coaching, like we start with strategy and then we realize, oh, it's deeper. And then we realize, oh, it's really deeper. Um, And this is really the same kind of trajectory. So I'm just noticing that as well. Everyone is going to have a way in that's personal to them because we all have access. It, it's our insights, our intuitions are all perfectly designed for us, for who we are, right? Like you have an intuition, you have an insight and you start telling people and they're like, oh yeah, okay, great. Good for you. But you, what comes with that insight, what comes with that intuition is so much more that can't be articulated. So what you want to be looking for when you're, when you're noticing, um, that it feels like you don't have this connection to your mojo or to your, your innate well-being, to that innate wisdom, um, to that, to that confidence and, you know, who you truly are outside of your thinking, outside of what you've made up to be true about yourself. Look for that feeling, look for the evidence of where, when you're in the flow, when things are occurring to you, so much of what we do in life is just happening. It's just happening. And we we think in our society per, tells us that we have to think our way into doing. And so much of our beautiful doing is just doing itself. Life is being lived through us all the time. Mm-hmm. We just don't notice. And when we start noticing, we start looking at, oh, I don't actually have to make the flowers grow. I don't have to make the tree grow. I don't have to migrate the birds in the, in the winter. The sun is still going to come up. I don't have to breathe my body or blink my eyes for me. Like there's so much already happening in like trees. And this is the analogy I use often. A tree isn't telling itself how to grow. Isn't thinking its way into growing roots and extending upward and expanding it's innate. It's built into the system. And we have that same capacity. It's built in. Save for our thinking. This is why the role of thought is, can be really helpful when we can start to pull away from that a little bit. You're already there, Joel. You're already there. Well, thank you for noticing. I appreciate that. Uh, I have asked you lots of big questions and lots of deep questions. I've been told that I can't help it and that I, that's just part of who I am. That's part of my innate curiosity is just uh, the quest for big questions, important questions, deep questions. So I'll actually give you a chance to turn it around, not necessarily on me, but I always enjoy asking other people, uh, what are the big questions that you're asking yourself or others right now? Do you have a question or two that just you can't stop asking it of other people or you just can't stop asking it of yourself? <laughs> the thing that pops to mind, and I don't know if this is relevant to your audience, but the the thing that I can't stop asking myself is um, 
how much of like when in my work, when people come to me and they say, I am overwhelmed with my time and I'm stressed out and I need help. And I know that the foundation that we, I know lots of strategies and I know lots of techniques that can help them. And I also know that to a very strong degree, those are band-aids. And what really needs to happen is them getting in touch with this space, with this wellness that's already in them, that's below the, th- the surface, in whatever way is normal, whatever way is like obvious to them, right? Not my way. That's the foundation on which all strategy needs to live, needs to reside. And so the question that I run into often, or maybe this is like revealing too much, but it's in the talks that I give, in the interviews that I give, in the client work that I do, in the blog posts that I write, how much of each do I include? Do I focus on the strategies that do help, even if they're temporary? Do I focus more or exclusively? Should I not even, you know, distract people with strategy? So that that's my big question. And if you could get an answer for me, Joel, I'm 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 all ears. Nope. Nope, I got nothing <laughs> for you. At least right now. How would you even make the value proposition of a potential client of saying, hey, come work with me. Um, I will just help you think better. I won't give you anything to do. I won't teach you any new <laughs> strategies. We won't go over techniques. Let's just have a good chat. Could you even get away with that? Yeah, well, that in some ways, that's what I'm trying to do. And the, and, and the thing is, is that there is always strategies involved, but it's just often when we get out of our heads and we drop back into who we are, the strategies occur and they don't look like strategies. It looks like the obvious thing to do. Yeah. So right. So that's the difference. And that's sustained change. Well, that's transformative change. Okay. I get the sense that you are when for your existing, the folks that you work with and help the organizations um, that you're co-creating you mentioned experiments before. Yeah. You like to help people run experiments on themselves to improve whatever it is that they came to you to help them improve or to do less of or to do more of. So that act of co-creation, uh, right. sometimes that's more you, sometimes that's more them. But that really sounds like one of your joys in doing the kinds of work that you do. It's yeah? like the coolest thing ever. It's the coolest thing ever because I get to learn with every single new person a whole other way of looking at the world that I that I didn't know existed. So what and kind of, it's the coolest thing ever. What kind of experiments have you run in, I don't know, whatever time period that you want to assign the last week, the last decade, uh, things that you've realized, oh my gosh, why? Why would anyone have ever thought that was a good idea, but still gave you or someone that you were working with some kind of valuable insight? So there is a really popular, uh, like a Tim Ferrissy way of, of experimenting through the world. And I get that that's really popular right now. Um, that's not necessarily what we're doing. We're not saying like, go, like only do everything based on the Bible. <laughs> like for, like, I know one guy did that for a long time. Um, it's not that it's not like an extreme uh, operation, but it's, it's the experiments are coming out of our conversation and, you know, whatever that coaching conversation is and where they are at. So 
I work with, I've got a, a, a 17 year old and she's preparing for, I'll give you just an example. She's, she's in the middle of her senior year of high school and she is really stressed out and she's really anxious. And so her parents brought me in to work with her and she, we were having this fascinating conversation about how it feels like life is just one giant, like, like lake that she has to row her way through. And then she works really hard and she gets really good grades and she does all the right things. And then there's just an even bigger lake waiting for her next. And she said, what is the point of it all? What's the point? And so her experiment was to look for the point of it all, to look for what is actually enjoying, like how can she actually enjoy the the ride, right? Enjoy the process of rowing the boat or what have you. And I mean, it was fascinating. She was like, oh, I could have a backpack full of fun things. And she was like <laughs> making it really fun. So that was the experiment that she had to go out back into the world for the next couple of weeks or uh, months and experiment with. Hmm. Yeah, that might beat the first thing you were talking about. I believe the <laughs> the guy who was well, there are probably multiple people who There's are doing like it, but so the year many, of yeah. living biblically. I think of AJ Jacobs. That's uh, the guy. Is he the guy? That's the guy. Okay. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. Oh, yep. he's great. I heard yeah, him speak really at uh event I love World Domination Summit back in 2014. Yes. He is hilarious. He's, he's really always funny. experimenting with the world's largest family reunion and what would life be like <laughs> if you thought of every single person on the earth as your cousin, which we all are. I mean, we <laughs> are we're so cousins. Cool. That's uh, so cool. I remember things like he says, I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian and uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I love it. I love that you knew that reference. That's the guy. Sorry, that was a little tangent, but yeah, AJ Jacobs, I think that's the guy. Uh, okay, well, going back to what you were saying, which is more important than my random tangent and where my, my brain just went for a little bit. See, now I I have I have these tendencies where I know not necessarily that I'm going to derail a conversation, but <laughs> I can't help myself sometimes. And you know what? I've come to a level of acceptance in my conversations with people, whether they're for smart and simple matters or otherwise, that I'm going to drop obscure references or I'm going to reference something tangential where my mind goes from A to B to C to D to E to F and I need to mm-hmm. bring somebody along on that journey and I realize from A to B to C that there's no reason why I should have even attempted to bring someone along on that journey <laughs> in the first place. But this is something that I've become comfortable with and hopefully other people have come to uh, enjoy, appreciate, tolerate that is part of who I am. And it's just, yeah, I'm okay with it if other people are okay with it too. But I want to get back to you. Um, you know, you've been so great here and offering up uh, not the one size fits all approach, but just may I suggest or how about those are the kinds of things that I really appreciate from people. Is there something in particular, Julie, that you wanted to talk about that you, we didn't talk about or maybe something that you would like people to know? The, we actually did, but I'll, I, well, I'll reemphasize. The thing that I, I love is that we really, really can make life work for us. That's why I, I love to operate in this nexus of, of like time and anxiety and stress and, and um, managing all of these different pieces and, and what we're up to and contribution. There really is a way that I so fully believe that there's a way that we can fit all the important stuff in and, and actually enjoy it. And we can, we can really make life work for us. 
And the funny way to do that is to actually make life work for us. <laughs> and, and it's cool that I get to do that right with on. people. Right on. Well, for the folks who want to explore what you really mean by that a little bit more and they want to find you uh, online or offline, where would you like folks to go searching for you? So they could, best place is to find me on my website, which is profound-impact.com. Okay, simple as that. If they want to find you on social media, there's links to that. If they want your YouTube videos and blog posts and there's, it's all right there. Tons of stuff is all right there. Cool. Cool. Well, this was also highly cool, which is a very crude way of saying thank you for, uh, for the insights and suggestions that you've offered up to me that I'll be rattling around my dome a little bit and that other people are probably starting to think about as well. This was great. Thank you. This was really fun, Joel. All right. Now that you know what Julie's all about, it should be no problem to say hello to her at profound-impact.com. As a bonus, just because I think you're swell and because I can't help being comprehensive, you can find links to all the stuff we spoke about, topic timestamps, takeaways, and more grooviness in the show notes at joelzeslowski.com slash sasm115. You will also see information in the show notes about how to support me, this show, and our community at joelzeslowski.com slash support. If my last name is still stumping you, it's Z-A-S-L-O-F-S-K-Y. You know, maybe this will even be the time you actually decide to say hi to me via email, Twitter, coming over to my house for some tea if you're local. If you've been lurking and listening for a while, I invite you to unlurk yourself. Uh, let me know you exist. Let's get to connecting, eh? Now, if you got something out of this episode or just generally with the show, maybe it makes you say sweet, sassy, molassie, please share it with some folks. People really depend on you to point them to the good stuff, and I am always grateful when you show some love by talking about what we're doing here together. Wow, I... I guess uh, I, I guess I can still do an episode in about 50 minutes. Didn't know I still had it in me. But it is peace and humptiness time again. Yes, it is. You've just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with Joel Zaslavsky. Now go simplify something. Hug someone or get your sexy spreadsheet on. <laughs>